We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With the 22nd pick of the 2021 MLB Draft, the Chicago White Sox select Colson Montgomery, a shortstop from Southridge High School in Huntingburg, Indiana. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and as you heard in the intro, the Chicago White Sox have a new prospect in their farm system, taking Colson Montgomery 22nd overall in the first round of the 2021 Major League Baseball Draft. We'll share our thoughts about the pick and the direction the White Sox are taking in restocking their farm system. It was a great weekend for the White Sox as they swept the Baltimore Orioles. They go 7-0 against the O's in 2021, continuing to beat the bums that are placed in front of them. The White Sox are now 54-35 as they enter the All-Star break, still maintaining an eight-game lead over Cleveland, but it was pretty apparent there is a team need for outside help with one position group that we'll discuss later in this episode. We'll also answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me now is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Another great weekend for the Chicago White Sox. I think I'm getting used to this winning. Uh, me too. But my first question to you, are you tired of talking? You just got <laughs> done, you know, for, for those listening and who weren't on Twitter uh, on uh, Sunday nights, Josh had been hosting a Twitter live spaces for Two, no, three hours? Yeah, close to it. Just about three hours? Yeah, so he's he's basically taking a 15-minute break, then coming back on and doing an hour podcast. So <laughs> I admire your endurance. Thank you. Thank you. If, uh, if my voice collapses <laughs> during this episode, you know why. Yeah, but uh, to the question at hand, if, if I'm uh, getting used to the winning, like I kind of am, at least, you know, uh, when the when the getting is good, <laughs> like when the schedule is favorable, um, you know, I guess if you looked at this Orioles series as a trap series, like, Oh, last weekend of the first half, big lead. They don't typically play well in Camden yards. The Orioles swept the Astros not too long ago. So they have the, uh, capability of surprising once in a while. You could see the White Sox losing two out of three and shrugging it off and, and, and going into the break, but the White Sox swept and, 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 uh, you know, 
uh, I guess even they were able to absorb the typical kind of luck they've had in Baltimore with Liam Hendricks's home run allowed in the blow and save and able to bounce back from that and, and get that win back anyway. So yeah, that was, uh, I wouldn't call it a pleasant surprise, just, you know, another pleasant development when it comes to taking care of business. Yeah. And in, in that game on Sunday, there were multiple heroes. Andrew Vaughn hit two home runs yeah. on Sunday. Andrew Vaughn's got 10 home runs in the season and Liam Hendricks, the home run to fly ball rate, I tweeted about this. It's created some conversation on social media. It has tripled this season, but we were somewhat expecting that when the White Sox signed Hendricks because he's going from pitching in the Coliseum in Oakland, vast outfield, going to guarantee rate field, much different park factors that he's pitching in. Uh, And maybe that home run by Trey Mancini doesn't go out in Oakland and it doesn't count as a home run against Liam Hendricks. But I think that's part of the reason why we're seeing his home run rates increase significantly from last season. And even the year before is it's the park factors. He's pitching primarily in smaller ballparks than he was at the Oakland Coliseum. He's still doing a great job. And we'll talk about the white Sox bullpen later in a moment, but yeah, Andrew Vaughn comes up big. Uh, because it, it did appear a, a bit dicey in that game where Baltimore was still leading two to nothing. And then Vaughn hits the first home run to cut the lead in half. And then he hits that three run homer to give them the lead late and thinking this is going to be a four two game. And then Mancini hits his home run to tie the game in the ninth inning. And Adam Ingle comes up to bat runners on first and second, the 10th inning. And I'm somewhat thinking to myself, Jim, here we go again. The white Sox not taking advantage of having a runner on second base and they can't get them home. And the runner on second was Tim Anderson. So there's plenty of speed and Adam Ingle hits an absolute bomb for a three run Homer against a right-handed pitcher. And in that game, I know it's just one game, but over the span of this season, Andrew Vaughn is figuring out how to hit, how to hit right-handers. And the just the professional development of Adam Engel offensively from what we saw when he first joined the White Sox to today has been dramatic in a positive way. And you got to be excited as a White Sox fan that a couple weeks ago we were really worried about this offense but this does seem like things are picking up for both Andrew Vaughn and Adam Engel, uh, even though we're still kind of waiting for Jose Abreu and Yohan Makata to have big months. Yeah, Vaughn has flipped a switch, basically. You look at his numbers against righty since the start of June, and they're improving, you know, over, the, you know, I, I guess when you look at his full season numbers, like you're looking at like a 250 average, a 270 OBP, and a slugging percentage in the high 300s. But he's really flipped a switch like over the last two weeks. Uh, he's got an OPS over a thousand against righty since that time. So it seems like he's figured something out it's, might be worth looking into. And, and it's probably an idea for me during the all-star break. Cause I have a couple of post ideas just talking about, you know, what can be counted on or, you know, what you might be able to expect or anticipate from the young hitters who are in, uh, uncharted territory. Uh, like I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, along with Vaughn, you have uh, Gavin Sheets and Jake Berger, you know, guys who, might be able to pick up at bats here or there going into, you know, uh, I would say at least mid-August and in some cases and, and beyond. 
So that's uh, you know a pleasant development when you thought that he just might have to. You hope he doesn't drown against righties, and you know at worst maybe get a platoon bat out of it. Adam Engel, you know, I, I was looking at his numbers and just you know how you know when when he entered the season he was supposed to be the platoon partner with Adam Eaton. It didn't work for multiple reasons. One because you know Engel wasn't available and Eaton was good, and then when Engel's available, Eaton's out. So just the Adam E from Ohio platoon never lined up. But with Angle, you know, just uh, having him, you know, get opportunities against righties and he's not playing every day against righties because he just can't play every day yet coming back from his hamstring injury. But I'm really curious to see what that looks like in a way I wasn't curious before. I thought if he had to play against every day against righties, he would have been a mess. I thought like the purpose of Nomar Mazzara last year was making Angle look good or better than he should have because he played against a limited sample against righties. So I was expecting the worst, but so far he's hanging in there. He's making better contact, you know, more authoritative contact, able to hit a go-ahead homer in extra innings against a righty when, you know, there are no better options to send up there. And to me, you know, when you think about everything he's been through, everything the White Sox have been through, uh, their attempts to find better players, and they have to keep coming back to angle for a greater capacity than maybe they would like, it kind of reminds me incidentally of like maybe a lesser Marcus Semyon outcome. Like, you know, Semyon was an MVP or an MVP candidate with the A's and he's having an MVP type season now. So Angle isn't quite at that height, but just being rewarded for giving uh, a guy enough attention at his weakness and, and that guy being able to eventually overcome his weakness with hard work. You know, it's, he may not be like, you know, I don't think he's going to threaten a five win above replacement player, you know, and when Semyon's able to get to seven or eight in that category, but just being an everyday regular um, against whether lefties or righties and being maybe above average at that, if he's able to get to that when healthy, that would be quite a coup, you know, not just for a 19th round pick, but a 19th round pick who is supposed to be like just a defensive replacement in the majors to uh, put the hard work over years to get his robotic swing mechanics into something resembling something repeatable against righties would be really a testament to, I guess, the work ethic on angle and the resilience to just keep plugging away at it. And the White Sox, you know, maybe for lack of better options, but still, you know, figuring, you know, just keep throwing things at him until something sticks. In 2017, Adam Engel had an OPS plus of 40 in 97 games played, covering yeah. 336 plate appearances. He was 60% worse than league average. He hit 166 with a 235 on base percentage, and he slugged 282. It's only 13 games, but Adam Engel has the same amount of home runs as Yohan Makata does. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> It's like, I would like you to present that in a way that doesn't also make me sad. Oh, he's got the same amount of home runs as Adam Eaton did over 58. That's games. better. There you go. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just, it's that type of pitch though. High velocity fastball that he just turned on and went deep into center field. I did not know he had that ability. And we saw a little bit, as you mentioned in 2020, but 2020 is not enough of a sample size and he didn't get that much playing time to really sell me that. Yeah, he, he can hit right-handed pitching because if Adam Engel can hit right-handed pitching folks, Adam Engel's an everyday starter with the way that he plays defense 
and we know how well that he hits against lefties and his type of speed. He's not batting in the top third. He's definitely batting in the bottom third, but he's someone that can take care of right field for you for a season. If he's going to hit like this, and if your outfield configuration for the postseason is Andrew Vaughn, Luis Robert, and Adam Engel, you got to feel pretty good about that as a White Sox fan right now. I'm I'm thinking back to watching Angle in Charlotte and and you having the credential at Charlotte and being in the photo well taking photos for the site and and being next to the dugout and seeing Angle walk through, and being struck by like how you know how strong he is like just how you know how uh, <laughs> how jacked he is in a way just you know he, he's bigger than you think especially you know relative to other major league players um, you know, when you watch him on TV you don't think he's you know. Uh, you know, anything remarkable when it comes to just how strong he is. But then you see him like in the dugout or in person against other players and you realize like he, you know, he, he makes the most of his frame. And you know, I, I guess when he was coming up, you could see him hitting the occasional homer against maybe lefties, but just never seemed to have like the swing fluidity, the, the ability to really snap the bat through the zone and, and be able to turn around something like that. So I think that's really the, the most striking development is that like he seems to actually be able to tap into that natural strength in a way he couldn't before and hit the ball out more regularly, which I think is, is something that makes him playable. I'm thinking along the lines of like a Kevin Kiermeyer type who, um, you know, ha- has mm-hmm. some struggles against, you know, certain handed pitching and whatnot, but you know, has enough power along with his defense to be like an unquestioned starter and a contributor to a, a first division team. And, you know, Angle's taken a longer route to get there and he still has to put it together for a full season. But, you know, with uh, if he can hit like 15 homers a season and, and hold his own against righties while hammering lefties, like he can play somewhere. Uh, or if he's somehow a fourth outfielder and he has to step in, like so much the better. You know, he, he might be somebody who, uh, you know, because of the uh, injuries he's had and the weaknesses he's had early in his career. Like you can just keep, I guess, offering him arbitration. He's not going to make a ton. You could have him, you know, in your outfield rotation and, and just, you know, have him starting in case of emergency and, and really be in a great situation. So yeah, depending on where the White Sox go, if they can somehow you know, complete their outfielder uh, or outfield without having him be one of the top three, that would be, that'd be something, especially given the outfield weaknesses this season. But I does, I guess it does make a, a difference in terms of if he can play at some point every day this season, like over the course of August and September, and he shows no sign of letting up, maybe it does make the right field conversation a little bit easier for Rick Hahn going into the winter. It does. I mean, Brian Goodwin is also performing really well for the White Sox right now. If that's the plan that you want to go into for 2022 looking ahead is, hey, Brian, how about we sign you to a, another contract for a season and you and Adam Engel can rotate in right field or maybe sometimes spell time in center field or left field in case if there's an injury or a guy just needs rest. What I've been seeing, at least from Brian Goodwin since he's joined the White Sox, and what we have seen now from 2020 and when he's been healthy this season, Adam Engel in 2021, I can buy into that especially if uh, every 13 games, Adam Engel's going to hit five home runs, Jen. <laughs> yeah, the one thing about the uh, the fastball I turned around, it was the five, fifth consecutive high fastball and on a 3-1 count and the lowest of the five high fastballs he'd seen. So maybe, maybe that's a case where you can't count on him just turning around a random high fastball. You know, It has to be a mistake high fastball that he catches up to uh, or maybe like a situationally advantageous high fastball that he's expecting. But still, you know, even... 
even knowing that, even knowing what's coming, like he had that weird, I remember like the, um, I would say like the 2018 angle form where he kind of just looked like a RoboCop up there when it comes to his motions and trying to, uh, he had like the knee flex and the, the bat, you know, like the back shoulder would drop and he just couldn't catch up to anything basically above his belt. Like he was lucky to foul it off. So even, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to that form, even when he knew he was coming, he didn't know exactly how to handle that. So, yeah, I would say that maybe that high fastball isn't characteristic of what he's going to be able to do on a regular basis, but hitting right-handed mistakes uh, along with hitting lefties regularly is a lot better than what he had done even last year. Again, I, I think that is an everyday player profile. He probably bats seventh in your lineup, but there was a point that we didn't think Adam Engel was going to be on the roster anymore because uh, he couldn't hit. And he is, he's, it's quite the turnaround for Adam Engel in his career. And it's great to see as the White Sox, if you want to call it luck, I mean, maybe it's karma. They've gotten some terrible injuries and now they're getting some great performances from unexpected resources. Maybe it's just karma balancing everything out, man. Getting really deep on you, Jim. Uh, so that's the <laughs> offense for the White Sox, which has really picked up steam in the last couple of weeks after a dry spell for a two-week period in the middle of June. Let's talk about a team need. And the team need is in the bullpen. This bridge to Liam Hendricks, and I know that Liam Hendricks gave up the two-run homer and blew the save on Sunday, is shaky, I think is the way I want to describe it. Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet are throwing really well. Jose Ruiz, Cody Hoyer, Matt Foster... Brian Burr is starting to regress a little bit as teams start getting a book on him and start figuring out how Burr is trying to get them out. I don't have a lot of confidence in them. And I view that second half of the bullpen, those five guys, as an opportunity to upgrade for the White Sox, Jim. Mm -hmm. Yes, Aaron Bummer is going to be returning, hopefully soon, from injury. I don't know the status of Evan Marshall's injury at the moment. Uh, Bummer is better than those five, but Bummer's been also very inconsistent for the White Sox. He'll have a good week and then he'll turn around and have an inconsistent week. But I, I do feel starting on Wednesday after the All-Star break, all of these contending teams are going to be looking to reinforce their bullpen. And I wonder if that's the first move the White Sox make, because to me at least, this is a, a pressing need that the White Sox, I, I do think they need to add another reliever to the bullpen before July 31st. What, what are your thoughts about the bullpen at the moment? Yeah, we, we got a question about that in our P.O. Sox bag, and I'll, I'll just bump it up to here from Rodney asking, like, uh, you know, it's been a, he, he said that the bullpen has been like a problem the team is dancing around and asking whether Crochet could work higher leverage innings um, and whether that's enough to avoid having to make a deal. And I don't think it is. I think just because between Kopech, Crochet, and Bummer, you have three guys with durability concerns. You know, uh, it would be Kopech going through his first six-month, seven-month season, maybe. You know, luck, hopefully, <laughs> fingers crossed. Uh, same thing with Crochet, who's already been on the injured list once. You know, and also Kopech's been on the injured list, and then Bummer's been on the injured list the last two years. So, you know, those three guys, you know, not having been in their peak forms at the same time and, and, and requiring uh, innings to go to Hoyer, even though Hoyer really hasn't had his swing and miss stuff this year. It's uh yeah, it seems like they need to add one more guy. Like we talked about the lineup and, and how I would hope for a bat that would lengthen the lineup. 
and and shove like you know maybe the uh, the hitters who fell at the lineup like Larry Garcia's down to the bottom third of it. In this case, I think for a bullpen addition, it would need to be a bullpen addition who can slot right in with you know Crochet and Kopech and Bummer when they're in their best forms, but definitely knocks Hoyer and whoever else uh, down a notch to keep them from having to pitch above their pay grades because it does seem to be a weakness and it does seem to be like a weakness that thanks to the starter depth that the White Sox have had, um, they've been able to mask it. Like there haven't been many games where Tony La Russa has had to figure out how to get from innings like four through six with a lead or like in a, in a slobber knocker of a game where it's like six, six in the bottom of the third. There hasn't been like that kind of game or many of those games where he's had to try to piece together winning combinations for more than half the game. And you know, hopefully, you know, you knock on wood with health and such that, you know, they at least have four starters for the remainder of the year that can provide that kind of length in the game and, and make the uh, math rather simple, you know, going into the later innings. But should there be a situation where multiple starters are absent, I think that's where you would see that crisis come into clearer focus and, it, and actually be more of a crisis rather than a, a problem right now. So I, I agree that, you know, the, the White Sox should find somebody that can, you know, handle a, say, a seventh inning in a close game. I think that's kind of how I look at it. Maybe not, you know, you're not looking at it like an elite setup guy, but at least the threshold to be a better candidate than Hoyer in his current form. And uh, I think the only problem is that basically every team that's contending could use a guy like that. So uh, I think ultimately it's going to be a more of a buyer's market than a seller's market, except when it comes to the bullpen. In which you think it's going to be a seller's market then? It's just going to be hard to find arms that can be guaranteed to help. Well, there's Craig Kimbrell with the Cubs. Yeah, there's Craig. Yeah, I mean, there there are a couple of those guys, but I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition for those guys. So I think teams are going to be trying to feel around for somebody who could be a breakout candidate. Like I'm thinking like on Colorado, they have Michael Givens. Okay. Who was previously on the Orioles and had some moments there, but is more of a mid-leverage guy at best with the Orioles, but he's had a decent year with the Rockies, uh, you know, especially given pitching in Coors Field. He's been uh, having a decent year. So the White Sox look at somebody like him and say like, yeah, he's he's been succeeding in a tough place. And you put him in the uh, AL Central and you put him in uh, to a, a park that's, uh, you know, has stronger gravity than a Coors Field and say that, you know, he's better off uh, pitching with the uh, with the White Sox than he is with the Rockies. Like I can see that kind of conversation being had, um, but you know it's it's not the kind of talent that's gonna you you can guarantee will translate over like make a clean transition from uh, one environment to another, one league to another, one situation to another, and feel good about it. Because I mean, for his entire career, he's been mostly a second division reliever, aside from some early years with Baltimore. He's been fine, but just not somebody you feel is going to be better than Hoyer was last year, which I think is really what the White Sox have their fingers crossed for. Like somebody who can feel like they're really replacing that guy that they don't have right now. And maybe that Cody Hoyer does return. I just don't think it's wise to bank on that. And I think it is worthwhile for the White Sox to get another reliever. And I'm indifferent on the quality reliever. It could be someone like you're mentioning, Jim. Just get somebody that helps with the seventh inning. Or if Rick Hahn wants to get crazy and he's like, I want two closers on this team. I want Kimbrell to hand the ball off to Hendricks in late game situations. I'm cool with that too. But I think this is a this is a team need that needs to be addressed before July 31st because 
It, Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease, they're not exactly going deep into their starts. Neither are neither is Dallas Keuchel. So, yeah, you're going to Michael Kopech in the sixth inning, and because the White Sox are handling him with care at the moment, and I totally understand, it's that seventh and eighth inning <laughs> stretch where it can get dicey uh, trying to get the ball to Liam Hendricks. It, it feels uncomfortable, uh, even though the White Sox still continue to win. And I just, I view that part of the team, that area of the team, that's an, it's an opportunity to make an upgrade for the White Sox that I don't think would be at a great prospect cost to do so. So that's the White Sox at the moment. They're 54 and 35. And for this week, there's a four-day break in Major League Baseball because it's the All-Star break. Later today, it's the Home Run Derby. Tuesday is the All-Star game. And then Wednesday and Thursday are off days. Allows the players to take a breather that went to the All-Star game. For the non-All-Stars, they are already with their families maybe going on a mini vacation before they have to report back to Chicago as the White Sox get ready for the Houston Astros series. Uh, Because Carlos Correa is a scratch from the All-Star game, Tim Anderson gets the call. So that's great for Tim Anderson. The White Sox will have four All-Stars, Hendricks, Lance Lynn, Carlos Rodon, and Tim Anderson, which is great. And uh, I wanted to chat about the Home Run Derby, Jim, because this is in Coors Field. I always enjoy the Home Run Derby. It's always great theater and a great spectacle. But boy, they're not putting the baseballs in the humidor. They're using super bouncy balls, and it is at Coors Field. And I'm I, I'm assuming someone is going to launch one more than 500 feet. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the Home Run Derby? It seems like that. It, you know, the combination kind of reminds me of the stories about hearing uh, prime Frank Thomas hitting with aluminum bat at uh, <laughs> Comiskey Park. It feels like it could have that kind of action. It's a boring answer, but I'm looking forward to Otani. Just, it's so impressive watching him hit and just watching the contact. Like it, he's in basically like rare territory with like say Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton. Where, yeah, I'm not sure if it's just uh, levers or. Um, the torque that their like musculature is able to generate that even like, you know, the strongest people in baseball aren't able to do, but just every, every other baseball that he hits out just seems to um, be destroyed. <laughs> like it, uh, like it, it seems like lose part of its matter as it's traveling out of the park. I, I don't get it. Um, yeah, it, it, same thing with Stanton. It's like left-handed Stanton, like Stanton from the right side. He has that short swing. Yep. Like the follow through that doesn't go all the way through. Um, kind of like when you're playing, um, you, you know, like if you're playing golf with like in, uh, a guy with like a single digit handicap in his sixties, like doesn't have the flexibility to hit the ball, you know, or like have this like really athletic swing, but still hits the ball like 270 yards. Down the middle of the fairway. <laughs> it's that kind of swing, except he's hitting the ball, you know, 400 and, 80 feet and it's that kind of just impressive power i'm looking forward to seeing it in that kind of showcase in that kind of setting um and with the you know gravity turned off uh, i really want to see what parts of the park it can reach yeah you got shohei otani he's the number one seed his eight seed in the first round is juan soto that's a tough matchup uh number two seed joey gallo <laughs> i think he's my pick to click to hit one over 500 feet uh, he's going up against the hometown favorite, Trevor Story, as a seventh seed. Your third seed is Matt Olson. I think he's a sneaky pick, a dark horse pick to win the home run derby. Uh, going up against the great Story, and he had the home run on Sunday, Trey Mancini. 
And your four verse five, uh, it is Patrick Nolan, P. Knowles' favorite player, Salvador Perez, the Kansas City Royals, against Peter Alonzo. Pete Alonzo for the New York Mets is the five seed. And uh, he's also a former home run derby champion. Uh, so he's got experience in this contest. So out of those eight, who are you picking to win the home run derby, Jim? Yeah, I think yeah, Alonzo is the one who jumped out to me just because he's done it before. And yeah, I think when it comes to a guy like Otani, who's had limited um, you know, experience just because of the injuries he's had and the role that he's occupied, limited experience as a you know, hitter in this kind of showcase, this kind of season that, uh, you know, maybe he might be a little bit prone to disappoint. So I think I'm going to go with Alonzo. See, that was my pick as well, but I'll let you have Alonzo. I think I'm going to go with Matt Olson. I think he, he's going to surprise either in a really good way or in a terrible way, but I think he's going to surprise. I, I like his swing. It looks like it's very repetitive. I, I think Joey Gallo is going to try for 500 feet. I think he's going to just hit these absolute moonshots that are going to take up a lot of energy and effort to hit. Uh, and then that will slow him down. So maybe we'll see a, and, but we'll think we will, it. it would be very entertaining uh, to see if he could hit one close to five fifty. I mean, I, I don't know what the limit is going to be with his type of strength at Coors field with a super bouncy ball, not being stored in a humidor. I mean, <laughs> I just, it, the imagination is just endless right now on, on how far he will hit them and how far all these guys are going to hit them. So it should be very entertaining on Monday night. So I guess I'm rooting for Matt Olson versus Pete Alonzo final. So our guys are, are in the final against each other, but it should be very entertaining. And I hope you guys watch it as well. There's going to be a stat cast broadcast as well during the home run derby, which will probably be better. Yes. Is Chris Berman still doing it? No, I don't think so. I didn't know if that was like just something he 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 you know, automatically gets rights on. Oh yeah. But... <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think uh, Jason Benetti. It was uh, it was said that he was heading to Denver, so I believe he's helping out with the Statcast broadcast of the Home Run Derby. So that'll be entertaining. Launch angle, exit velocities. That'll be the one that I'll be watching. So. Again, that is Monday night, and that will be on ESPN. So looking forward to see who wins the Home Run Derby and uh, how the All-Star Game goes and how much action Carlos Rodon, Lance Lynn, Liam Hendricks, and Tim Anderson get. But it'll be great to see all four of them part of the uh, introductions. And who knows, maybe Rodon or Lynn gets the starting nod for the American League. That would be fun as well. And we'll recap as far as the action, the All-Star break. On Thursday, Sox Machine Live as we also preview the upcoming home series against the Houston Astros. A pretty big series for both teams. Uh, and who knows, maybe there will be some high trade activity in Major League Baseball starting on Wednesday after the All-Star break since a lot of teams' personnel are already next to each other during the Major League Baseball draft that was on Sunday and through the All-Star break. Speaking of the Major League Baseball draft that did start on Sunday, the White Sox have added to their farm system. Are we witnessing the start of building the next wave of players for the 2024 squad and beyond? We discuss that point next after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. Sunday, during the first round, the Chicago White Sox had the 22nd pick overall. And... Boy, that first round of the Major League Baseball draft, there were some big surprises in the top 10. Uh, I don't think anyone had Henry Davis, the catcher of Louisville, going number one overall. Uh, he ended up doing so. He was my draft crush. I thought at one point he can go number 22 to the White Sox back in March, and I quickly realized that that wasn't going to be happening, and he goes number one overall. Uh, Marcelo Mayer was the favorite to go number one. He's going to Boston at number four. Jack Leiter ended up going second to the Texas Rangers, but Kumar Rocker, the other half of the Vandy boys, falls all the way to number 10 to the New York Mets. And with, with so many unexpected picks, it was the expected pick of the Chicago White Sox taking prep shortstop Colson Montgomery out of South Ridge High School in Indiana as Montgomery has been tied to the White Sox now since early May is, is a possible second rounder that they would go over slot four and then quickly realizing they would need to spend the 22nd pick on Colson Montgomery to bring him into the fold. And Jim, this is the first prep player the White Sox have taken the first round in a long time, since 2012. Uh, he's 19 years old. He plays a shortstop position. He has some promise. What are your thoughts about Colson Montgomery coming into the fold for the White Sox and now entering their farm system? Well, I'm of, uh, I, I think I won't, well, one, I think I should be interviewing you for this segment because <laughs> you know so much more about it than I do, but I'll give you a break on the talking since you've uh, already, you're on hour three plus doing so. But first thoughts were, you know, two minds. One was that, you know, they obviously liked him and, you know, they weren't alone in liking him. Uh, I like the idea that he can stick it shorts. Like it doesn't seem like it's given, but you know, we've seen like, I'm thinking a guy like Jake Berger who was supposed to fall from third base to first base. And then he lost 40 pounds basically is uh, putting up a fight there. We've seen Zach Collins stick at catcher for better or for worse. Like when the white Sox want to make something happen, uh, they give it every chance to do so. So I think he benefits from, you know, being in a team that has really invested in him seeing him become a shortstop. So I'm not worried about that part. I, I think he'll be able to put up a fight up the middle. 
The question to me is watching Ty Madden fall all the way. He was supposed to be a top 10 pick, yeah. maybe top, you know, at least top half of the first round. Um, he fell all the way to the Tigers at 32. And you know, I, I was listening to the uh, your, your live draft show with James Fox and, you know, mentioning that, you know, as he got closer to falling to the White Sox and, and you hadn't really entered Madden into your calculus whether he could be selected by the White Sox in that pick. Um, that's where I thought, like, do the White Sox have tunnel vision by committing to Montgomery when a guy like Madden has fallen? And then seeing Madden fall all the way to the Tigers and seeing all the prospect evaluators rave about that pick, um, that just gave me a little bit of pause. Yeah, because the White Sox taking Colson Montgomery, 22nd overall, immediately after was Cleveland, and they took Gavin Williams, which... I wrote about Gavin Williams multiple times. He had an outstanding super regional against Vanderbilt. I compare his arsenal to Michael Kopech. And there were, you know, readers and fans and followers of us, Jim, on Sox Machine in the comments section advocating that the White Sox should go after Gavin Williams uh, as they've had success with college starting pitching. And, of course, he goes to Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Someone that I thought at the beginning of the season – that was like right in the White Sox wheelhouse and what they look for. Ryan Cusick out of Wake Forest goes number 24 <laughs> to the Atlanta Braves. So right after the White Sox pick of Colson Montgomery, you see two college starting pitchers go. But at, at pick 25, Max Muncy, who I mocked to the White Sox at, at pick 22 because I thought the Cubs were going to take Colson Montgomery at 21. Uh, he goes to Oakland at, at pick 25. So I think... There's some strategy here with this pick. Yes, the White Sox really like Colson Montgomery, but they're, they're at this point with the farm system. And when the new farm system updates come out, uh, Fangraphs is already listed as the White Sox as 30th overall, so the worst farm system in baseball. They may not be the only publication that ranks the White Sox that low as far as the farm system rankings, Jim. Mm-hmm. I do believe this is the time starting in 2021 that someone within this front office where you have most of your efforts concentrating on winning a world series in 2021, somebody does need to pay attention on 2024 and beyond because Colson Montgomery. Now you can take the time and develop him properly. So he does stick at shortstop. You have Tim Anderson and Yohan Makata under contract through the 2024 season. Montgomery is not needed for a while and who knows he may not be needed at all if Anderson and Makata signed another contract with the White Sox after uh, after these contracts expire but in the second round in the third round and even in 2022 and in 2023 this is something I've been stumping for the White Sox need to get younger in their farm system I would even like to see them pivot away from their International signings, stop signing these 21, 22-year-old Cubans unless they're Luis Robert types that can join the team in two years. Uh, Like, Yobert Sanchez, uh, is he ever going to join the majors? I mean, he's getting pretty old for his level. Uh, I feel like they need... I'm surprised he's not in Birmingham. Yeah, he's still in Winston-Salem, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he's still in Winston-Salem. They need to get more 16, 17, and 18-year-olds as far as international prospects, pairing up with the prep players that they're taking in the first three rounds of the Major League Baseball draft. And I think 
If you do that, if you have one part of your organization focusing on that and the player development, you can build another tidal wave or maybe build another core. So if the goal is to have extending winning seasons and you don't and you want to avoid another rebuild, that's the way to do it. And I'm glad the White Sox did go with Colson Montgomery because if they drafted Gavin Williams, Jim, I just feared that they would have used Gavin Williams like they did with Garrett Crochet. And that would be their mid-season acquisition to help out with the bullpen. And asking Gavin Williams to continue throwing 98 to 100 miles per hour with his slider. And then he's in the bullpen and there's no clear direction if he could be developed into a starting pitcher. Which is the situation that we, those that are fans, media, are watching the White Sox handle Garrett Crochet, that it's not clear if Crochet's ever going to be developed into a starter. That was my one concern about a college draft pick was that I wanted to see, you know, if they got a college arm, um, you know, you mentioned like, you know, the, the guys you mentioned plus like Sam Bachman and such, like if, if the White Sox drafted one of those guys, I wouldn't want to see him fast tracked. I just think it's really right. hard to, um, you know, as we saw with Carlos Rodon, like Carlos Rodon, they fast tracked him and he had the pitches, but he didn't have the, um, I guess he didn't have the knowledge of his body. I would say just the understanding the rigors of the season, understanding how to prepare when he's trying to survive at the major league level. Like he didn't get that kind of opportunity to develop a routine that worked. And that's, I think what I would like to see avoid now with crochet. I think the season last season being as weird as it was, um, the, you know, both between the amateur season being com- pretty much completely scratched and, uh, the, uh, 60 game season being really a crapshoot and, and maybe having a shortcut to a world series path. Um, that seemed like it was worthwhile to maybe have crochet in that role and just put him in the bullpen. And if you can get a starter out of him, great. But if you get a reliever out of it, that's not a bad use of such a weird year. Mm-hmm. But I think with the full season and with everything, close to back to normal when it comes to schedules and being able to evaluate them. I wouldn't want to see the next Garrett Crochet or the next pitcher described as the next Garrett Crochet. I'd like to see him described as, and the funny thing is like, I don't even know because the White Sox don't really slow track a college pitcher. Like even Carson Fulmer wasn't slow tracked, like based on his performance. Like he, they, they tried to move him. They shoved him up before his performance warranted it. So that was my concern was that, you know, if they drafted the pitcher, um, you know, who had college performance that they would try to shove him along as quickly as possible. And I think Montgomery does avoid that. Uh, What's your opinion of Montgomery being 19? I think it's, it's overplayed. I know that you will have many pundits and even teams themselves say he's, he's old, but We had this conversation on the Twitter space. I've had this conversation numerous times. Even Jim Callis touched on this uh, on our last podcast, uh, last week's podcast, I should say. If he goes to Indiana, he's draft eligible in his sophomore season. He'll be 21. And then you'll have teams say he's a young college player. (laughs) He's an old Mm -hmm. high schooler. He goes to college for two years. Oh, he's a young college player at the age of 21. Like... I, I'm not concerned as far as the age at all. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, just, uh, that. I guess, one of the knocks I've seen on him across the board is just that, you know, and it brings to mind like a guy like Blake Rutherford who never quite 
developed what you know never had maybe could have used like an extra year of physical development to be able to have like in-game power mm-hmm. but that was just you know kind of the notion that comes to mind just because when i think of 19 year old draft picks and rutherford was in the conversation when the white Sox could have picked him instead of trading for him um that's just something that came to mind and and that didn't necessarily give me pause because it seemed like i'm not seeing anything about like him not being able to reach his power in game at least based on his yeah, you know, he's a he's a prep player, of course, but the wood bat reports seem fairly positive from what I've seen. So I think that's what I would look to if, if thinking that his age is going to make difference uh, with this player. We may see him in Canapolis this season, so that would be interesting. I think Jose Rodriguez is ready for a call up to Winston Salem, which means Yolbert Sanchez would have to go up. Like that's that's yeah, yeah he's kind of blocking things right now. And we got Lennon Sosa as well, right? Lennon Sosa's in double A. No, he's in uh, Winston-Salem. They got both Sosa and Sanchez in Winston-Salem? Yeah, they're bouncing back and forth between uh, second and short. All right, well, get them to Birmingham. (laughs) And uh, call up Jose Rodriguez, give him a a test of uh, Winston-Salem. And then slot in Colson Montgomery at shortstop. I, I believe he could stick at short. From what I have seen... As far as his film, watching the Indiana State Championship game, uh, you can go to our YouTube channel. I cut the highlights of that game. I think he could stick at shortstop, and I think he's got the range. I think his basketball uh, background helps him a great deal, just like it does for Tim Anderson as far as making plays in the infield. I like his arm. I like his body control when he's charging up on uh, slow choppers in the infield. I like Colson Montgomery, and I think this is a good pick for the White Sox. I like the direction that they're taking even better. I do think that this is a farm system that needs to get younger because I think it's pretty clear with the way the teams are rebuilding and what they're asking for in these trades. They want your teenagers. So if you want more trade assets, you got to add more teenagers to your farm system. And in order to be successful developing these teenagers, you have to be pretty confident in your development program and making sure that you got everything squared away down in the minor leagues with your facilities. I think the White Sox need to do a better job as far as housing their minor leaguers, and hopefully that does get addressed soon. But from Kannapolis having a new stadium, Winston-Salem has a great facility, Birmingham has a great facility, Charlotte has a great facility. The White Sox are one of the few teams that can compete against these college programs in which, I mean... Colson Montgomery is going to go to Indiana, or he was. Indiana's got an okay facility. But if you're trying to attract the kids that are going to Vanderbilt or Florida or even like Kentucky, where they have spent 50-plus million dollars improving their baseball facilities, that is a hard sell if if these prospects are undecided, Jim, because they look at college and just the amazing facilities that they have and then they look at your A-ball facility and it's like, uh, do I really want to, you know, sleep on an air mattress and take the bus all the time to games playing in terrible stadiums? Because that's the situation right now. If you're 18, 19 years old as a high school senior getting recruited by the top programs in the country with world-class facilities and A-ball, which oftentimes are poor facilities, but the White Sox don't have that problem anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I think the point you made about uh, him being a multi-sport athlete, I think that helps to me offset some of the age concern because 
with Rutherford, he was a one-sport guy to my recollection. And so if he were focusing on baseball the entire time and couldn't really tap into any sort of power, you know, teams had to figure that they could help him do that. That's, uh, you know, maybe something that would raise a flag. But if, you know, Montgomery is like late to turning to baseball as his sole focus and has already had the feel for getting the bat through the zone and getting some lift, then I think, uh, you know, I would be less concerned about the age and thinking that, you know, any kind of crunch the White Sox might have in terms of time or physical development, uh, you know, losing that year, um, so to speak, would be offset by gaining, you know, the gains that uh, Montgomery could make just by focusing on baseball solely, just like the gains that Tim Anderson made uh, mm-hmm. by focusing on baseball late. Yeah, Montgomery was so good at basketball that he had an opportunity to walk on for the Indiana Hoosiers and be a two-sport athlete. So, yeah, he's good at basketball. <laughs> and when you're good at basketball in Indiana, uh, that's pretty impressive. And I'm glad the White Sox went in this direction. I think Colson Montgomery is going to be a good one for the White Sox. And hopefully he sticks around for a while and he's not featured in a future trade because I know the White Sox need trade assets terribly bad. Um, but I think this one's worth keeping around and seeing if you could build a new core surrounding Colson Montgomery. And then we've seen Jose Rodriguez and the prep pitchers the White Sox have. Even Brian Ramos, if he doesn't get traded, DJ Gladney. Uh, Yoki Cespedes, even though the White Sox may have the worst farm system in baseball right now, there are, I think, some positives, some prospects that do shine a light on some potential that they can grow and be bigger than what we currently think of them now. And I think this is a good start for the White Sox to get younger, and we'll see how they do with the other 19 picks they have for the 2021 Major League Baseball draft. And we'll be recapping the Major League Baseball draft and be writing stories as the picks come in throughout the week. So make sure that you're following us on Twitter at Sox Machine and reading our work at SoxMachine.com. But you guys had a lot of questions for us in P.O. Sox, so let's answer them next. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us by being a Patreon supporter. And you can do that by signing up at patreon.com slash machine. And these questions are from our Patreon supporters. So, Jim, let's get into the mailbag right away. The first question comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew's asking, regardless of who the White Sox pick, they have limited trade capital. Between catcher, bullpen, second base, and outfield, what's the most pressing need to improve the chances of Josh's American League pennant goal for the White Sox? Well, this feels like a, a now regular feature uh, for us, <laughs> you know, ranking the White Sox concerns for for where to add and who to add and how to add. So I guess what would you say are the power rankings for these positions. I think right now, I think we both agree that bullpen might yeah. be first. That's the one that I would address. Like it's hard first. to say like, yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to positions, uh, I think it might require like the lowest capital in order to inquire, but it, it, it somehow it's, I guess that's in a favorable situation for the white Sox and that like it would theoretically requires the lowest prospect capital to acquire, but it's also the most pressing need. I think the others, I would say catcher uh, would be second. But it's hard to 
add there just because of Yasmani Grandal looming over everything. Like it seemed like to be a waste if they added a plus catcher, like a catcher who makes an impact when Grandal is going to be coming back in, in the mix for the next two years. So I would say catcher is a more pressing need, but I still think like an outfielder would be the best use of it. Um, just some, and that's why I think Adam Frazier just makes so much sense. Like it's, I, I keep coming back to him just because like having that combination of player who can cover second and outfield, um, it's so useful to this team in a way that, you know, when you think about the outfield, like you talk about Adam Engel and Brian Goodwin, I don't mind the combination. I just question whether Engel can be healthy the rest of the year. And if Eloy will make a uh, seamless return and stay healthy because he had the problem last year, along with the injury uh, this season, whether Robert will make a seamless return. Like a lot of these guys are coming back, they're major leaguers um, and, and feel like they could dwarf anybody who's added um, just if they come back with relative ease, but you know, should they have a setback or a stumble or in the case of Robert, you know, come back healthy, but miss some development time and, and have to kind of take a, a step back in order to regain some ground and, and get his timing back. Um, that's a case where having like a guy like, you know, Frazier to mix in, you know, both at second, the position they need, and then the outfield, if they need a starter grade player, that's, I think, what would help. So that's why I keep coming back to him as somebody who makes the most sense for this team. But, you know, when you have an eight-game lead in the AL Central, it really makes it um, not all that urgent. So uh, that's kind of where I'm stuck right now. But I think bullpen is first, and then I think second base might be second. Not because of need necessarily, but because it's the position that stands the least chance of being dwarfed by the guys coming back. Do you think... Lurie Garcia can lock down the second base position for the rest of the season and through the postseason. He's another guy where I think he can, if he's available, he just gets hurt a lot. Right. I, I don't have confidence in Danny Mendick locking down the position every single day. He's fine for a game or two during a week, but he's Mm -hmm. not an everyday starter. And that's where he's a good glove guy. Yeah. And that's where, I often get feedback. Let's call it feedback uh, from those, especially on social media saying, I don't want Adam Frazier because I believe that Louis Garcia can lock down the position. This isn't so much a conversation to Adam Frazier versus Louis Garcia, more of a conversation between Adam Frazier and Danny Mendick. Mm-hmm. And there are still some Danny Mendick stands that want to believe that he can play every single day. I do not. And that's why I would like the White Sox to work out a deal to bring in Adam Frazier into the fold. And that also helps extend your depth going to 2022 because having too many good players is something that no one's ever complained about (laughs) when building a roster. And uh, Frazier gives you some flexibility and maybe he could be your new utility guy taking over for Lurie Garcia next year. But you're right, Jim. I mean, Lurie Garcia seems like every single season – Something goes wrong with his hamstring, and then he's on the injured list for a while. And I, I would just hate for that to happen after the All-Star break, that he goes on the injured list, and then you're with Danny Mendick every single day. And it's Or Jake Berger. Or J- who... Jake Berger, I don't think, can play second base. He can go out there and try, but I don't think he's much of a second baseman. Uh, and I don't want to entertain the idea of moving Yohan Makata from third to second base. I've already made my mind quite clear on how I view that, uh, answering some P.O. Sox questions while you were on vacation, Jim. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's why 
Yes, I agree with you. Bullpen is most pressing. And if they can make a deal for Adam Frazier, awesome. If it's Eduardo Escobar still to save Bob Nightingale, uh, <laughs> that's 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 fine too. Uh, but I, I think out of the position players, I, I, I still circle second base as an opportunity to improve the talent level at that position. And listen, Lurie Garcia is a super utility guy. He's going to find ways in the lineup. He's going to give guys days off at third, shortstop, out in the outfield. He's still going to find ways to be in the lineup most of the days of the week. Uh, but this, I think, is more of a question of who would you want to have starting second base every day if Lurie Garcia goes down, Adam Frazier or Danny Mendick? And I think that answer is pretty clear. It should be Adam Frazier. That's my that's my thinking. And also just the idea that Adam Frazier can hit first or second and you like it. That's true. I mean, Anderson, Frazier, Mancata, Abreu, Grandal comes back, fifth, Jimenez, bat sixth. Mm-hmm. I can't believe I'd say Aloy Jimenez would bat sixth in the lineup. Robert, seventh. Vaughn, eighth. Engel, ninth. Engel, Goodwin, ninth. That's a sexy lineup. That's a sexy lineup. Yep. Get it done, Rick Hahn. Get it done. But Andrew, thank you so much for your question. And we'll probably answer this question again next week in our weekly feature segment yeah. of who should the White Sox trade for until July 31st. Our next question comes from Brendan Conway. And Brendan's asking in an alternate universe where there are no White Sox injuries this season, is their record better at this point? If so, by how much and what would be their run differential? I could see maybe a little, just because when you think of all the injuries they've had, and if you think that, you know, Luis Robert, the way he started the season, were he able to keep going on that trajectory? Nick Madrigal, the strides that he was making, uh, you know, whether he'd be able to sustain that. Eloy Jimenez, you know, we talked about potential uh, MVP form, at least, you know, all-star form, potential uh, what threatening the White Sox home run record book form, all those guys, it's hard to, you know, think of all those guys in the lineup and not think the White Sox would be better. So, you know, on one hand you see uh, 54 and 35 and think that's, you know, how can you do better than that? How can you do better than the, uh, you know, second best run differential league? Well, I can do better than you know, Houston's at 136. Like maybe that's within reach, but you can't really ask for much better than the White Sox have done this year. The one thing I would say is that when you look at the way the White Sox have had success, um, you know, one, I, I think that's, they, they've, they've bum slayed as best, as best as they possibly can. I don't know if you can count on the White Sox doing any better against the Baltimore's and the Minnesota's and Kansas cities of the league. Like they, they're taking care of business in a way that even good teams, uh, stack teams, fully healthy teams don't often do. And they've also been pretty good in the clutch categories in both offensively and, and pitching. Like the bullpen's been a little bit iffy, but the starters, uh, how well the starters have pitched with the runners in scoring position. Uh, if you were to re-simulate the season with uh, all of those, uh, I, I guess, particulars reshuffled and, uh, you know, I, I guess, uh, subject to different luck and different uh, um, sequences to way it could work out. You know, you might have White Sox losing games they've won and winning games they lose. And, and in the end, the White Sox might be like 56 and 33, but, you know, just... It's, it's hard to do a whole lot better than a hundred game pace when you're looking at just projecting better than that. So 
I think it's a minor miracle that the White Sox are eight games up on the division and just seeing, you know, that three different teams are 15 games back or worse, I think is staggering uh, in the AL Central. Um, but uh, just with the, um, the, the good fortune they've had when it comes to pitcher health and, and the rotation and the, I think, good fortune they've had when it comes to just the way young players have been able to produce immediately, whether it's like a, a guy like your mean Mercedes who might be a flash in the pan when the uh, smoke clears or a guy like Gavin Sheets who might be figured out uh, in short order, or Jake Berger, like they're all able to contribute when needed. And should Sheets kind of uh, peter out, um, you know, maybe that's the time that Jimenez comes back and you don't really need him. I think that's the kind of sequencing luck that they've had this year that uh, might make the standings more even than you think compared to against a fully healthy White Sox team. Well, Brendan, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Mark Sambor, and I think this is a good one. When fans say Rick Hahn has to do his job and make a deal, is the expectation that he make a move at any cost? To me, I would say no, just because the White Sox don't really have... I think the White Sox farm system is such that at any cost means that you know some of the young players they have are needed like Michael Kopech, Garrett Crochet, et cetera. Like some guys who might be tradable to other teams based on their major league profiles just are not. <laughs> All the major league players they have are needed. So I, I think it's a weird uh, two-tier system of young players where the young players who are good are already in the mix, pretty much already counted upon. And the young players are pretty much um, mysteries at this point, like the Jose Rodriguez is the Brian Ramos is, uh, that tier of player. Like, you know, maybe the White Sox could trade, you know, let's just say uh, or a ridiculous scenario where the White Sox trade like Rodriguez and Ramos and Jonathan Stever and, uh, you know, Matthew Thompson for Adam Frazier, you know, and maybe even one more. Let's just say, like, let's just call a stark overpay. It's like, well, you know, that's something that shouldn't be done. But if you think you know, of a more realistic cost where it maybe has to trade three players of that ilk, Maybe that's something he should do. Like, I mean, the idea, I think, for the White Sox is that they're able to develop enough young players uh, in that window. Like, you're able to trade a Thompson because you have Kelly and you have Dahlquist and who knows who they'll draft tomorrow. Um, You know, they should be able to draft or or trade away Rodriguez or Ramos because here comes Colson Montgomery. Like, they should be able, as you mentioned, to focus on, you know, more team talent and be able to replace those guys in the ranks because they haven't quite emerged yet to know what they are. So when you're looking at that kind of level of commitment to making a, in addition, you feel good about, you know, not like maybe a Michael Giffen's type where you don't know exactly what he's going to look like when he shows up, but like an Adam Frazier, you feel pretty good about plugging into the lineup and into the defense and you know what he's going to give you, you know, more or less. I think that's the case where Han should be aggressive just because I think they are at the point where um, you know, a deep October run is the goal, not only because it's you know, the goal of winning the sport, but it's also just the deeper the White Sox make a run into October and the more season tickets they sell next year. Uh, just the more money they're going to re- uh, generate to supplement the roster, keep adding and, and make uh, be able to acquire difference makers up top. So that's why I think it's really important to capitalize this October, just to make up for the revenue that wasn't gained during the first year of contention in 2020. And then the uh, gradual start to letting fans in this year. Like, I think there's a lot of lost revenue they can recapture just by going deep into October. So if they, you know, ponied up with prospects for a player who can help, 
Um, I don't think I flinch for that reason. Those are good points, Jim. I mean, they already DFA'd Adam Eaton, so they're already eating cash uh, this season. Would they be interested in taking a pretty big contract for the second half of the season that increases as far as their, you know, their, their costs uh, that they weren't exactly planning for at the beginning of the 2021 season. But with fans in attendance, it's looking like the series against Houston's going to be sold out. The series at the end of the month of Aloy Jimenez is on the roster against Cleveland going from July to August. Uh, that's going to sell out. You got a Yankees series coming up. You got Cubs series coming up at home. Uh, you got an opportunity here to have some really healthy crowds, which helps make up some of the revenue loss that the White Sox had in 2020. That's where I'm intrigued is if the White Sox are willing to make a deal where they're not giving up a lot of prospect capital because they're, they're willing to take on a somebody's big contract for the second half of the season and helping the, the team that they're partnering up on a trade save some cash. That won't be the case with Adam Frazier because he's cheap, but Craig Kimbrell's not cheap. Chris Bryant is not cheap. And I'm wondering, would the White Sox entertain those possibilities? Like I said, I wouldn't flinch. Neither would I. We'll see. Mark, we shall see what Rick Hahn does. If he doesn't do anything from now through the deadline, this is the way the White Sox roster is. They're waiting for guys to get healthy. It'll be disappointing. It'll be disappointing. But you can still squint at this roster and say, yeah, they still have a chance of going deep into the postseason. I think a lot will tell on how that first series after the All-Star break goes against Houston because that was not a close series when these two teams played in Houston in the four-game sweep for the Astros. And we'll see if the White Sox fare better at home against Houston. Our final question in the mailbag comes from Michael Kenny Jr. And Michael's asking, where is Colson Montgomery going to be traded this offseason? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I include that for you. Uh, <laughs> I, I think Nowhere. are the, are the uh, yeah, like it seems like with this pick and I, I think to, to kind of tie together the theme of the, uh, you know, what this pick means for the, what the direction the White Sox are heading. I really hope it means that the White Sox are committing to that 2024-2025 window of talent and trying to survive uh natural prospect attrition with uh you know whether it's trades whether it's just guys getting injured and never being able to meet their potential what have you like just adding to the ranks and not counting on one courtney hawkins to figure it out so i would hope nowhere but i was just wondering like can you see up uh in area just because they're so starved for prospects as we talked about with the you know worst prospect ranking in the game to where like he becomes somebody to trade. And that's why I think it's really important to have that deep October run just so the White Sox can spend and don't feel bad about spending. And uh, they don't have to trade. Yeah. You know, like the Dane, they don't have to make a Dane Dunning type trade again. No, that's true. I mean, they could with Jake Berger. Yeah, but that's not Dane. I mean, you're talking about like six years of, I think Berger right now is almost like found okay. money. Well, another team could still be interested, though. But, like, Dane Dunning had developed... He, he was on a nice... You know, Dane Dunning was on a nice trajectory. He had Tommy John surgery, came back from it smoothly. Like, he's somebody you could pencil in for, you know, good fourth starter for rotation for six years, and you trade him for one year of Lance Lynn. It's a great year for Lance Lynn, and I think it could be very useful for what the White Sox are trying to do 
this year and maybe if they extend him, but just, you know, not needing to trade a guy like Dunning for that talent. Maybe they can sign that talent instead and not feel like they're over a barrel. Well, Michael, I don't think Colson Montgomery is going anywhere. Mike Rodolfo maybe gets moved. I'd be hesitant to move Jose Rodriguez, but that's one of the guys I would be asking for if I was another team. But I don't see Colson Montgomery being traded this upcoming offseason. We'll see on how much activity there is during this upcoming offseason with the CBA expiring in early December. But Michael, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a future question or topic that you would like us to address on a upcoming episode of the Sox Machine podcast, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. But you can also help support us at patreon.com slash Machine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content. They get ad-free versions of the podcast and the website, and they get the first opportunity to purchase our new Socks Machine swag. And on that topic, Jim, we have new Socks Machine swag. Yes, we have the first Socks Machine ball cap for sale, or it's actually for pre-order right now. We sold out of the ones we had on hand, but we are taking pre-orders through next week. So like next Monday, I'll look to put in the order. But right now we've got a couple dozen pre-orders in, and I appreciate that just because that helps me get a better handle on how many to order. You know, it's the first, uh, first such product for us. Don't exactly know what the demand is. So it's very helpful to have those pre-orders just because it's very... Yeah, as you know from uh, a guy who has stored merchandise in a closet, it's both costly and uh, <laughs> space-consuming to be stuck with extra inventory when you when you overguess how popular an item might be, or maybe just you know, you you order in bulk because it's cheaper and it takes a while for the supply to run down. But either way, it's uh, as we both know, it's very nice to be able to get an accurate number. I will include some extras when I place the order, but not a not a ton of them. So I, I think if you want your place uh, in the order. Best way to do so is ordering a site through this, uh, ordering a hat through the Socks Machine store on socksmachine.com, and uh, you know any time between now and uh, next Monday. And they're fitted caps, so if you know your hat size, yeah, they're flex fit, so they they're they're small, uh, small, medium, and large within a certain range of sizes. I have the sizes listed uh, from the manufacturer, and then my own notes about how I've, uh, you know, my sense of their fit. So. There should be some guidance there. Excellent. So again, go to SocksMachine.com, go to the store, and pre-order your Socks Machine cap. They look awesome. So great job, Jim. Thank you, Billy. Billy OK, who does amazing work to make us look good. So I'm, I'm really excited to, to get my Socks Machine cap, and you can get yours as well at SocksMachine.com and the store. But that will do it for this Socks Machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the Socks Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. And the Socks Machine podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Network. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.